0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: Open for Business is powered by Bosboulet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM
2: 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning and welcome to Open for Business. This is the show that dives deep into the journeys and ventures of entrepreneurs and business leaders. I'm Richard Bradbury. Heading into 2024, it's important for parents to know where they can get care products for their small children in a timely, convenient manner with reasonable prices. However, in practice, that isn't always easy. Parents, Jasmine and Sean Tan, were looking for safe, natural and organic products for their own daughter back in 2011 when they realized uh, that having to resort to importing such brands costs a lot, uh, particularly on postage fees and such like. This led them to create Apple Crumbie in 2012. They then went on to be part of the second batch of startups that made it into 500 Global's Distro Dojo program in 2016, where they secured seed funding worth US dollars from the VC. Now, Apple Crumby has an e-commerce platform that has their own homegrown in-house brand of baby products. They have baby products such as diapers, wipes, skincare, cleaning products, and tooth gel uh, that are all catered to parents who wish to have the option of safe, natural, and organic baby products for their kids. More recently, Apple Crumbie had also opened their first store-in-store in Sharlam in in partnership with Daggy Baby, is that correct? Is that my I pronounce Yes, that's a Daggy Baby Daggy Baby. So today, here on Open for Business, uh, you've just heard Sean, the uh, CEO and co-founder, and Jasmine Tan, COO and co-founder of Apple Crumbie, on their business journey since 2012 and what the future holds for their business. And in the meantime... If you have any thoughts or any questions, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number that is 018-789-8899 or reach out to us on X, we are at BFM Radio. Sean, Jasmine, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, Richard. Pleasure.
2: I guess we have to go all the way back to the beginning, you know, 2011, 2012, your are importing stuff from all over the place you're paying a fortune in postage fees and clearly as new parents tearing your hair out at that point because I'm guessing you've probably already spent a small fortune tell me about the beginning then you know what kind of sparked the whole thing
3: well it was in 2012 we had our first daughter at the time and we noticed that You know, in the market, there was actually a scarcity for safe, natural and organic baby products, and we literally had to gather these products from all our travels, So, and it was not easy, you know, traveling with the baby and lugging all these kind of products in our limited space in our suitcases back home, and we also had requests from friends and family members asking us, you know, where do you get these things, and... You know, the next time you travel, can you please buy them for us? There's um, always that question. Right? It, it That's was always like that, that, that. Yeah. and you know, we found ourselves asking like, it is supposed to be an evergreen industry. Mm. It's supposed to be matured. But why aren't these products found here? Mm. And, you know, that basically led us to thinking like, hey, I think that's a gap in the industry. There's a gap in the market for sure. Mm. And it's basically products that are safe. You know, you think that baby products are meant to be safe. They're supposed to be safe. Mm. But then think again, they're not all safe. Mm. And, you know, with that in mind, we literally just went right into it and basically just filled the gap. That was how we all started.
0: Right, mm. precisely. I think when we started out, It was really from very humble beginnings. Uh, It was right out of our kitchen (laughs) and we had products strewn just everywhere, right? Um, But I think there was this very strong need for us to provide for our daughter. And over time that translated to also providing the same kind of products for our friends and family and also the immediate community around us. Mm -hmm. And I think to think from that time and until now and how we grow it to where we are today, it's quite mind boggling. Mm. Do you think then that there are parents out
2: there who do not necessarily and fundamentally understand the difference between the products that are readily available now compared to the kind of products that you are supplying, that there's, there's a big difference?
3: I think if you're referring to back then when we started, yeah. it was definitely a challenge. Yes, definitely. So I remember yeah. when we started bringing in products that are safe, natural and organic, especially when we started our private labor back in 2016, mm. we actually had to educate quite a number of um, moms and dads on what it meant by 100% chlorine-free diapers. I, yeah. I, I think I remember this very…
2: He, diapers are diapers. Exactly. What I mean? Diapers are diapers. Yeah. So, yeah.
3: And one of the comments that we got at the time was pretty funny. It was, um, you know, my baby doesn't swim, so I don't think we need chlorine-free diapers. <laughs> And, and that was you can that things up. <laughs> <laughs> correct. And that was the level of awareness that we actually had to bring on board at the time. But now, fast forward years later, a lot of moms and dads are, you know, they are very savvy. And mm. they are the ones in turn asking, you know, brands these kind of questions like, are you safe? Mm. What kind of ingredients do you put in your product? So it's a very different ballgame mm. right now. I mean,
2: for me, I've lived here, I think, 16, 17 oh, 16 years now. And what struck me as surprising was I could... Walk into a pharmacy, you know, in in the UK and I would find diapers in a pharmacy. Here, that doesn't happen. You know, I'm walking into Guardian or Watsons for a while and Mm -hmm. I I couldn't find diapers. And my brain was like, why is this?
3: It boils down to the buying behavior here. Mm. Parents here are a lot more accustomed to buying them by bulk when you have your mega campaigns on your typical marketplaces in Malaysia. And, you know, overseas, I see a different buying behaviour. People, moms and dads, tend to buy their baby essentials when they need them, not in bulk, and wherever it's convenient to them. Mm.
0: And the reality is that UK versus Malaysia, Malaysia is definitely much smaller in terms of, you know, kilometres per square. Mm. And as a result, our retail stores are also as small and that leads to a smaller shelf space. And as opposed to that, diapers are big and bulky yeah. and therefore it takes up more space. That's right. That's so right. that doesn't really make sense yeah. for retailers of the pharmacy retailers mm-hmm. to store our products or sell them. Mm. Um, they're more partial to skincare and wipes. Wipe right. wipes. Yeah. So what do you think
2: was the, I, I guess the, aha moment right So I mean you, you've already decided you know we, we want to be doing this for our own daughter mm. and obviously you, you've got friends and relatives and the entire village saying can you bring this back for me from your travels w- was that kind of the pivotal moment would you say
3: to starting the business yeah um it was, in a way, but at the time we started it with our marketplace, so Apple Chrome and Fish was the e-commerce platform they started with. It was not pivotal enough to start our private label from the get-go, simply because it wouldn't have been prudent nobody knew us Mm. and e-commerce was extremely fresh and new at the time Mm. so we didn't think that it would be wise to start something that requires uh, a certain amount of capital Mm. from day one Mm. but i think what made it more pivotal was when you know we asked ourselves what was actually missing from not just the baby industry in whole but also the safe natural and organic range of products and it was actually diapers diapers was the actual Category that was entirely missing from that SNO, which, you know, we call Mm. it safe, natural and organic uh, sentiment. And if you look at the industry and the market at that time, it was really the big boys who were dominating, you know, the market share. And none of them were actually coming up with products that were entirely chemical free at the time. Mm. And that was actually the gap that the pivotal moment for us was to actually come up with that. And it was not easy because you have to understand we are, you know, parents ourselves and we're just two of us and we're coming up with something that's ultimately going to challenge the really really large players yeah. out there
2: very big,
3: yes. very big.
0: Uh, the diaper industry in Malaysia is approximately 1.3 billion mm-hmm. ringgit so it's a huge industry yeah. so I think the writing was also for uh, writing was on the wall for us as well because at the time before we actually went into our own brand or created our own brand. We Obviously, we were also um, retailing other brands, but our suppliers started to get on the marketplaces like 11th Street, right? And then Lazada and we knew what's happening Mm. with Lazada, Mm. right? And the margins were just vanishing very quickly. And we were thinking, how else can we stay relevant? How else can the business survive? Because, you know, the cost of goods was just so high and the competition was very, very fierce. And that was us trying to decide what else can we do. Mm. And I guess the option then was to either find a brand from overseas to bring in, to distribute or create one of our own. Hold that thought. I need to take a short
2: break. Sure. Folks, I'm in the studio with founders Jasmine and Sean Tan. Now, we are speaking about Apple Crumbie, of course. We'll be back in just a few moments here on Open for Business. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these messages. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9 Open for Business is powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary.
2: BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Richard Bradbury, of course. Welcome back to Open for Business. This is the show that dives deep into the journeys and ventures of entrepreneurs and business leaders. I'm in the studio right now with Sean Tan, CEO and co-founder, and Jasmine Tan, CEO and co-founder of Apple Crumbie. We're talking about their business journey since 2012 and what the future holds for their business. Um, you were talking, Sean, just a, a moment or two ago, just before the break, about whether or not we continue bringing in one brand or do we develop our own brand. Correct. Before we answer that question, though, I want to rewind a little bit before because that kind of question and that kind of answer, we're talking about product development, we're talking about research, we're talking about a whole bunch of headaches. Do your respective backgrounds have anything to do with developing (laughs) diapers?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing about Jasmine and myself, right? We have a bias towards action yeah. and then we'll just figure stuff out along the way. So the quick answer is no, we didn't know a darn thing about diapers, right? Um, But my secret to this entire endeavor is really to marry well. So, (laughs) (laughs) and this is, uh, it's just Jasmine, right? tanking the product research, the entire list of ingredients, understanding and reaching out to all the suppliers well actually it's something that she will be able to tell better than I
2: yeah Jasmine <laughs> let, let's hear this well y- wait well, just for just for the record <laughs> you guys were in property originally right yes and that this is a good story come on let, let's hear it <laughs> let's hear it
3: on what the properties or no, the I, diapers I, forget about the property I, I want to hear
2: about the diapers right? so we've established the fact that you knew nothing originally about diapers and then the two of you uh, with you in particular set out to do this research right mm-hmm. tell me about that you You know, how deep did you dive into this?
3: Well, um, we traveled quite a fair bit back then and what I did realize was that there was such a category called 100% chlorine-free diapers in the States. And not a lot of brands as that, probably just a handful, under five, but not, you know, in this side of the planet. And Mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia, I dare say that when we first started it, we were actually the first guys, if not the first few. And it was basically just the awareness that chlorine is something that is not necessary or good for babies Mm. it was really just that Mm. and then i did a little bit more research on why it's not great for babies and i think a lot of us know today that there are certain ingredients out there that could be carcinogenic Mm. um, and chlorine is one of them Mm -mm. and then if you think deeper It's diapers are basically for babies and you're putting something like that on baby skin, which is not rocket science. You know that it's not good for babies. And
2: correct me if I'm wrong, the chlorine that is used on these diapers essentially Mm -hmm. is, and I could be wrong here, it's for making them look whiter
3: and more appealing. Not really. Um, So chlorine is basically, you think of it as a cleaning agent for your pulp that you use in diapers. It's not as a whitener. And for decades, it's really just using chlorine to clean diapers. Right, right, right. And why has there not been a different process of doing so? I think, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of factories just go for what's most economical to them. And it is an economies of scale thing. Yeah. So whichever was used most, that brings down their costs and that becomes the norm. Right. And, and it,
2: everybody else then follows. Exactly. Because they have to compete.
3: Correct. Mm. And it really just took like a handful of brands to actually challenge that. But the challenge in that is that when you come in with something entirely new, it does bring up the cost. Mm. And so a lot of the brands that have been around for a long time, if you're asking them to change the entire supply chain, the COGS and whatnot, it's really a challenging Mm. process. And Mm. a lot of them would probably just keep to what they do best and Mm. not make a change. And it really takes just a few challenger brands to come in and say, hey, I'm doing it differently because ultimately chlorine is really not great for babies. Why are we using the same thing and not telling parents about it? Mm. So maybe just two or three that are doing it in the States and not, you know, over here in Southeast Asia. And so we thought that, you know, at that time, Malaysians don't even know this entire thing about chlorine-free. So we came in with that concept and we shouted out on top of the hill from, you know, whatever marketing budget we had at the time, which was measly. We did it um, mostly on social media. And we had so many inquiries, so many questions on, what is this chlorine? Like, what do they do? Are they not good? And the typical answer to that is basically, I mean, you know what chlorine is, right? it's what you use in the bathrooms, for yeah. example, in your swimming pool, for example. Yeah. And if you think about it, after each swim that you take, yeah. what do you feel when you get out of the pool? Mm-hmm. Do you feel your skin is drier? Mm. Is your hair more brittle? Now think about that effect on babies. Mm. And, you know, baby skin is a lot thinner than adult skin. Mm. And it was actually through that grinding, us telling that story repeatedly, educating moms and dads at the time. And, you know, years later, people are actually more of it. I wouldn't say that, All of them are aware of it. We're still trying our best to do that as our job. But we are getting a lot more parents, you know, coming back and say, yeah, I don't want this kind of ingredients or materials on my babies. You know, what do you use in your Mm. products? Mm. So, yeah, that was how it started.
2: So when you've established that research and you know this Mm -hmm. is not good for babies and whatever, how do you then move from having that knowledge to producing a product you know and it's not a simple journey obviously because mm-hmm. you've got factories locally and worldwide that have been following the same procedure and doing the same thing for a long time how do you go about sourcing a factory that's willing to produce your product in that way and know that this factory is one reliable and well i guess yeah reliable is the major thing it's your own product correct how do you do that
3: well you know what Our contract manufacturer is actually not based in Malaysia. So we actually had to find someone abroad. And we know that a lot of manufacturers hail from China. But the thing is that what most people didn't know is that whatever we're using in our diapers, it was not even available in China back then. So basically, you're going to a country that's really, you know, they're really great in manufacturing. But yet, you can knock on door after door and they will tell you like, what is this chlorine-free thing that you're talking about? We do diapers, but we don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And what happened was we actually had to do our research even further and we wrote to pulp mills in Europe. And it's not easy because there are only a handful of them that actually make chlorine-free pulp. Mm. Not in the States at the time. It was totally not available. And we actually had doors slam on our faces saying that, you know, we don't make them, so maybe you can go to our neighbouring countries instead. We did. And eventually we did find a mill that is able to lie us with our manufacturer and is willing to export to them, even if your first orders are not that huge. And that was how it all started. So we actually contacted them. We breached that contact to our manufacturer and they brought in. And today, we're actually still proud to say that we're actually the first guys bringing in this particular material into China.
2: I mean, that's quite the journey because you're disrupting the market in a lot of different ways. You know, it's not just that you're going up against the big guys to produce something, Mm -hmm. you know, that they are not doing first and foremost, but it's convincing the manufacturers also that there is product and you have product fit and there's a market for it, right?
3: Um, Yeah, I I wouldn't say that the big boys are not aware of it. As I mentioned earlier... Sorry, I mean, they are aware of it. They're they're, aware of it, yeah. It's just that probably the demand was not there because awareness was not there as well. But, you know, we did see that gap and that's the growing demand that we saw overseas Mm. where people are actually looking for this kind of diapers and parents are parents you know mm. how so is it different here than over there and mm. we thought that parents here definitely deserve to have better for the kids
0: yeah i know i agree yeah. i think to better answer your question yeah you're right richard that it wasn't easy looking for a partner factory who will build what we wanted yeah, them to yeah. build because for each factory that we went to out of 10 nine actually said, no, we don't understand. We don't have the supplier. We don't know this or we don't do that, right? We do it a certain way and we'd have to retool. We'd have to do all that. And and it just needed that one factory who said, okay, fine. You connect the dots for me. And if you can somehow connect me to those suppliers, right? We can do a test batch for you. And when we found our partner and the stars lined up for us in that sense, right? It was quite amazing, we were very excited. Mm. So I I recalled, right? And you asked the question, how did we convince that? And basically you say, hey, look, you know, could you just prototype one container for me? And once it comes in, if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, then at least you have your answer and you know, goodbye. And they agreed, and once production was complete, they shipped it over and I remember it so vividly, right? The container came in on a Tuesday and sold out on Friday. Wow. And
3: It was actually under pre-order. We have not even seen our oh, stocks at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was still,
0: okay, fine. I, I, I stretched it a little bit. So it was still um, on the water in the ship. Uh sailing over so we opened it up for sale and it was and and as sold. it's sailing it's selling yes. as it was sailing. exactly so it came out on tuesday sold out on friday and then we had a case for manufacturer and say hey look we ran out of supply and they were surprised as well and they say you gotta just make more for me I mean, that's your pitch right there, isn't
2: it? You know, it? It sold out just after it sailed. It sold out before it landed. Correct. Brilliant. Okay, we have to take a short break. Uh, sure. And then I think when we come back, let's talk about the current offerings that you, you have. Explain a little bit about that, some of the services and whatever. I do want to look at some of the other challenges perhaps uh, you faced along the way as well. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we, we have to speak a little bit about money. You know, it's an entrepreneurial show. People will ask. <laughs> anyway, uh, folks, of course, this is Open for Business, the show that dives deep into the journeys and ventures of entrepreneurs and business leaders. I'm Rich Bradbury, and here with me in the studio is Sean and uh, Jasmine Tan, uh, CEO and uh, COO and co-founders of Apple Crumbie. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM. Eighty-nine point nine, the business station.
1: Open for business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBolly.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Blues, folk, metal. BFM eighty-nine point nine. Open for Business is powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9
2: The Business Station My name is Rich Bradbury Welcome back to Open for Business It's the show that dives deep Into the journeys and ventures Of entrepreneurs and business leaders I'm in the studio with Sean and Jasmine Tan The CEO and COO And co-founders of Apple Crumbie We're talking about their business journey uh, Since 2012 We're speaking an awful lot about diapers (laughs) um, Which is not necessarily a bad thing Being as a business is based around that (laughs) Right. right? But with that in mind um, obviously, that was the kind of core of what's happened. But you've since gone on and expanded and you have a whole range of different products. Let's talk about some of the products and the product range that you have right now. Explain to me, you know, how you go from diapers to where you are now. What was the, the next step after diapers and then what was the step after that? And how did you come to these decisions?
3: You know, we've always wanted to be a baby rent on a more holistic level. Mm. And so diapers was really just, uh, we call it a stepping stone, but at the end of the day, we know how big the diaper industry is. So it is definitely the biggest chunk of our entire group revenue today. But then we also know that parents do look for other baby essentials as well, and we didn't really want them buying our diapers and then having to look elsewhere for other kinds of products. And that was how we actually started. So we knew what the staples were, and we knew parents were looking for their typical lotions, their nabby creams, their shampoos, and then the cleaning products for their bottles, the dishes. As well as the detergents for laundry Mm. And then we know that they were looking for You know, wipes as well Which is definitely a hand-in-hand together with diapers So that was how we crafted all categories And it was not a one-time launch at all kind of thing It wouldn't have been prudent It was a step-by-step thing So I think it took us a total of about 18 months To launch them SKU by SKU And today we have probably about 60 plus SKUs Oh wow Yeah
1: yeah,
0: it's quite a bit, right? Hang on so, rewinding back to when we were just a platform, e-commerce platform, yeah. right? So, when we were trading other brands, we actually had 13,000 SKUs. Oh, my word. Right. Okay. And, of course, I, I told... Uh, How do you I, keep I, track of all that? Oh, we were using an ERP system. But it was very, very difficult. And we were extremely ill-equipped to do that. But that 13,000 SKUs. I did tell you about how our suppliers were also going on to marketplaces to compete yeah. against um, their retailers, right? Yeah. And, and when we moved to just Apple Crumby, the brand, we took away all 13,000 SKUs and there was only 24 at that time.
3: Mm. It was so. literally overnight. So, you know, just imagine this scenario where you had a certain group revenue selling 13,000 SKUs and you go cold turkey on all 13,000 overnight. And then it just swapped, like basically, guys, go back up to your usual revenue with just 24 SKUs. Yeah. It was literally So year on <laughs> year, revenue
0: maintained.
2: <laughs> Tell me about that decision then. You know, you've got an awful lot of SKUs. Yes. You're suddenly deciding, you know, we, we want to push our own brand. We want our own ecosystem. We want it to be ours. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's a brave decision to do that because make or break time, yes. right, essentially. Exactly. Why were you so confident in your brand to make that decision at that point?
3: I think to be fair, at that point, we have had four years of data. Mm -hmm. So we knew what parents wanted, what the recurring purchase um, products were, and what kind of pricing they would usually go for. Mm. And with that, we were quite confident that recurring purchase kind of products were actually something we were looking for. Sorry,
2: was this a decision that, that just the two of you came to as well? Or was this put out to outside discussion as well?
3: It was mainly the both of us and our angel investors at the time. Right. And I wouldn't call it like an in-depth kind of discussion. It's more like, you know, guys trading other people's brands, it's not going to bring you the margins that you really need to build a sustainable business. Mm. And we have always known that coming up with our own brand would be the key. Mm. And, you know, four years into the business, we realized that it was time. Mm. But what we didn't realize was that we would go right into diapers, which is extremely (laughs) challenging. I mean, a lot of brands like, go for like baby food, I don't know, something that is a lot easier to penetrate with. Mm. But no, we had to go for diapers and we're fighting against maybe four to five, like really huge giants. Mm. And I guess it was really behind the knowledge that products of such, they are really quite scarce if you're thinking about natural diapers. That's number one. And number two is that private label is unheard of at the time. It's a very new concept. And how would we perform if we actually had diapers brought right to consumers? I mean, at that time, it's more like a D2C. Mm. If we had that opportunity to bring this kind of quality products direct to consumers, would that disrupt the industry in a way? And the answer to that was it could, because then you don't have a complicated supply chain structure at the time. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, that leads to better margins and that leads to a more sustainable business. And we don't have to rely on third party suppliers that are really just applying to thousands, if not tens of thousands of retailers, yeah. all fighting for the same market. And all retailing the same products, and also you know it becomes a uh, race to the bottom price war game. Yeah. So that was ultimately our thinking at the time. But you know it, it was really just that. It was as simple as that. It was not a lot of like discussions. It was
0: true it. to our nature. We thought of something, we did it, and then anything that came at us at that time, we just fixed it on the way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You know,
2: yeah. uh, it makes business sense to be doing this, but. My heart would have been in my mouth at that point when I'm like, I have all yes. of the you know, because... It was all in. Yeah, because you have customers who will be buying from these 13,000 SKUs, and you're like, well, if we take these products off, are we going to lose that buyer, you know? How do we retain them? Yeah. I, and I guess before we move on to the money questions as well, I just want to talk a little bit uh, briefly about some of the missteps that you've had, right? I mean, this decision obviously was a good one, but there must have been steps in between, where you've had a misstep or you've had a bit of a bike fire? Can you think of any that, let's specify a couple that have sure. had, had an impact and, and have really made you rethink?
3: I think one of it was definitely that warehousing and fulfillment. Yes. I think forte is more on branding, mm. products, and marketing and, and sales and sales but not so much on warehousing and fulfilment but we tried to do everything at one point in time Mm. it kind of backfired because we realised that it really took an army to fulfil you know whatever orders we had and that was really not a huge volume at the time but we still had at least 20 plus people at any one time in our operations department department. Mm. and it was really not cost effective so that actually coupled with a non-effective WMS at the time We found ourselves not being able to keep track of inventory. Probably Which
0: which is uh, not a great thing.
2: It's It's not not a
3: great thing.
0: Mm. Um, And with 13,000 SKUs, that was just a nightmare. I can imagine.
3: And, you know, when you have spike in orders during the mega campaigns, we found ourselves not being able to hire on time to just get the orders out in a timely manner. And those were really huge challenges for us. And that was actually the best thing that happened out of it was that one day when we had a quick discussion and we went like, hey, guys, you know, this is not our forte. I'm sure there are experts out there. Let's just do the difficult by moving everything to someone else's warehouse and get them to basically give us that service instead. It was a very difficult time. It was three months. You imagine that we have 13,000 SKUs at a time, right, which translated to tons of products in our warehouse. And we actually had to move up everything in three months. And in that duration, orders were still coming in, you know. It's not a physical store where you can just roll the shutters down and, hey, guys, we're closed. Leave us alone. We have things to do. Exactly. It's an online store and it goes on. And so as orders come in, I, I remember we were late in our fulfillment. And then we doubled out as customer service as well. Just to explain to moms and dads what was happening. We were moving warehouse and whatnot.
0: Yeah, we for were three making months. deliveries. Correct.
3: Yeah. And we went to our partner's warehouse just to speed things up. We were like, what can we do? Can we help you with the inbounding? Can we carry some boxes? Can we, you know, basically upload whatever you need into your backend system? We were actually doing all that for three months. But that was the best decision ever. Because today, I think that was in 2016. Today... We no longer have to worry about that. Our partner is doing such a fantastic job Mm. and we can actually put wholeheartedly our focus and attention to what we're good in, which is product curation, marketing, Mm. branding. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If I were to put the feather on my cap for any decision I've made in my entire career as CEO, that would be it. And yeah, it's amazing because now we don't even have to worry about the rent for warehouse over bloated operation department that we just don't know and don't have the skill sets to manage and grow. And just moving it to a partner was just the thing that we needed for Mm -hmm. the business.
2: Okay, I need to take one more short break and then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about money. Don't shy away. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Folks, I'm still here in the studio, of course, with the guys from Apple Crumbie. I have Sean and I have uh, Jasmine, the CEO and the COO and co-founders of Apple Crumbie. We'll be right back after these messages here on Open for Business here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Bring forth Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary.
2: BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Open for Business. This is the show that dives deep into the journeys and ventures of entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, we're talking about diapers, not just diapers, of course, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I'm in the studio with Sean and Jasmine, the uh, founders of uh, Apple Crumby. Now, I want to ask you then, in terms of money and funding, right? Oh, right. When you go from being in your kitchen to a point now where you're having to manage warehouses and you uh, you know th- the key question is where did the money come from
0: and how did you convince that person to give you money <laughs> it was very simple it was actually not so simple <laughs> 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 raising money right is probably one of the hardest things for us anyway to do We've received rejection after rejection. And, you know, being a guy and having some pride and ego, right? And the so-called CEO of any company, being rejected isn't a good experience at all. But it's something that we needed to do quite unsuccessfully anyway. So... At the early stages of the business, a large portion was actually self-powered. We funded a lot of the purchases, we funded a lot of the overheads, etc. And it was until approximately, what, 2014, 2015, Mm -hmm. right? Where we met our first set of angel investors. And at the time, it was uh, the folks at T-Capital. And we met them at another function, another event similar to BFM's. And we met a very well-established VC, Ms. Chok, right? She invited us over to office and uh, invited us to pitch. And of course, we didn't get the money immediately. It went over a series of interviews and them reviewing us after reviews before they said, okay, fine, you know, we want to invest in you. And that was where we got our first fresh injection of uh, funds.
3: But you know, ever since then. Which we we didn't
0: spend very well on. (laughs) Yeah.
3: But ever since that first injection of funds, we've been bootstrapping. So that was 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's been eight years of bootstrapping. Correct. And you know, you asked on profitability as well. I guess being a startup that had to bootstrap for that many years, Making sure that your business is sustainable is compulsory. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, before today's market sentiment on profitability, we were already thinking about profitability long before today. And it was literally like every decision that we make, it has to be the right one, if not the best. Yeah. Because any strikeouts could be disastrous. Yeah. And so we had to learn how to build something that was sustainable right from day one, I would say. Mm. And so today, I don't think it's something that is out of the ordinary for us. We've always been thinking like a startup from day one. so even today, everything that we do, it's about whether it's sustainable, whether the margins look healthy, whether we can actually build a business this way without having to rely on funding repeatedly. Mm. Um, And that's how we operate So profitability is not something alien to us. It's really just, maybe call it traditional, but I I do think that if you build a business, it has to make money somehow. Of course, (laughs) of course.
0: And I think uh, we brought that mindset to continue with us, uh, even till today after we have raised a new round with an international investor Mm. who we can't name right now. And even now with that amount of funds injected, we're still asking ourselves the same questions. Is this money that I'm spending today, will it give me that ROI uh, by doing this particular activity? Or what does it give me in return? And even if it doesn't, like the expo that we went recently in IOI Mall, just recently, it costed X amount of ringgit. And obviously in expos, no exhibitor would ever make money from it. But... Beyond just asking what we can get financially, uh, commercially out of it, we thought about just more than one thing. What can we get out of it as a branding practice? What can we get it as an affiliate? Uh, because we do have affiliates from there. What can we get out from it from retailer's perspective? Can we invite them over? Can we bring them over to show them, hey, this is our brand. This is what Abercrombie is about. and. It has to bring more value than just returns. Yeah, yeah. So I've
2: got one final question for you because we are running out of time, unfortunately. I could speak to you guys all day. Long-term plans, right? Uh, We have to be quite quick on this, though. Is the long-term goal to expand into other markets as well? Because I'm I'm hearing rumblings that you are looking at other places. Um, Do you plan to exit, though? Is that what you're looking at eventually?
3: Definitely. So regional expansion is something that we are still focusing on, but we are very reasonable in how we expand. We always go for markets that will bring us the best returns. It's not about the number of countries you're in, but rather what we can get in terms of ROI from each market that we're in. That really does help us keep to a lean structure in a way. And we do know that for our exit at one point in time, investors are bound to look at that as well. So, Mm. you know, brands that are operating in multiple countries tend to get a bigger, more favorable, you know, views when it comes to acquisitions or, Mm. you know, M&A and exits as well. And in terms of exit, yes, we have given it thought. I think from day one, we knew that this day would come. But now that we're closer to that exit point and that we have just gotten ourselves a fresh round of funding from an international fund, we do know that exit is something that will actually give back to our shareholders. So in terms of what kind of exit it will be, time will tell. But right now, we're open to an IPO or, you know, an M&E as well. Definitely.
2: Wonderful. Guys, thank you very much for spending the time with me this afternoon. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much, Richard. Folks, I've been here in the studio, of course, with Sean and Jasmine Tan, CEO and COO and co-founders of Apple Crumbie. We've been speaking about their business journey since 2012, what the future holds for their business. Uh, they're keeping it close to their chest, uh, but we'll speak more about that and guessing next time we have them here in the studio. Uh, thank you very much for your time. And of course, if you want to uh, catch this podcast, you can find it wherever we normally broadcast our podcasts. I recommend using the BFM app. That's available in the Apple App app store or google play for open for business and of course enterprise i'm rich Bradbury here on bfm 89.9 the business station
1: are you open for business register your company with bossbele.com malaysia's first online company secretary
0: you have been listening to a podcast from bfm 89.9 the business station for more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.